Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Year Full of Dirt. I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me on Twitter at the Strobro. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Liam at Poacher Rugby on Twitter and Craig Gridelli. Um, hopefully, uh, he is at American RFC on Twitter. How's it going, everyone? Going fantastic. I'm still defrosting from the game uh, over the weekend with the New England Free Jacks. Unfortunately, uh, it looks like it looks like Craig though is currently frozen. Um, yep. Quite, yeah. Uh, and he, he's back, dude. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we'll see how my phone is doing. It's, uh, uh, the technical difficulties here, I, I switched to outside that works out. I apologize if I'm coming in blurry or, or start to come in garbled at some point. All right. Hey, man, sometimes you're playing a man or two down because people didn't show up for the game. But the thing is, though, you play anyway. And that's what we do here at Earful of Dirt. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the biggest thing that happened this weekend was not the MLR preseason when it comes to rugby. Um, the the Chiefs did win today. I know um, Liam and I are AFC people. I think I am an AFC person. I, I was rooting for the Titans, believe it or not. But the uh, the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, and uh, but the NFC person in the house uh, is either <laughs> watching his game in the background, and that's why it's lagging, or he's just doesn't <laughs> care because they're not the Giants. <laughs> hey, man, the the Giants just picked uh p- picked an apple from the Patriot tree, didn't they? H- hiring Joe Judge, then hiring Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator. That was, that was funny. That, that that's beautiful. I heard Freddie Kitchens might even join that staff, which will just be the ultimate, the ultimate dream team. Are we gonna? I wonder. Craig, are you there? Are you alive? I can hear you. Yes. Oh, he's, <laughs> whoa! This this is going to be an adventure. Is Craig <laughs> still alive? <laughs> well, it's it's no. I can see like his eyelids go. All right. So we we're so we were talking about Joe Judge hiring. Uh, Jason Garrett. Oh, I like it. I love it. I hope that Jason Garrett comes with some excellent secrets about the weaknesses of Cowboys players to transfer into the Giants' institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. Turn, turning that three and thirteen season into an eight and eight. You can only, <laughs> you can only go up until a certain point from here, baby. Yeah. Look, Liam. It's all good and well when the. Uh, questionably ethical Patriots have won a bunch of Super Bowls. Now you can brag, but I'll tell you, my Giants have won two Super Bowls in my lifetime, and for a Mets, mm-hmm. Giants, Islanders, Knicks fan, uh, got to be pretty happy with the Giants. My other franchises are really struggling uh, yeah. in my 36 years of life, but the Giants have delivered, and uh, they'll, they they have a lot of room to, uh, to struggle before I start to worry about them. <laughs> well, that that the Patriots boat currently has a few holes, but right now we're still dancing up on the deck. Woo! Yeah, they're hiring ex Astros players to come uh, refill. <laughs> the 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know, Boston. Uh, it, that was the other thing that happened this week was uh, in baseball. And this will lead into sort of not really my diatribe about the Saracens, but, uh, you know, it. It was like two. I had a really long Twitter thread. If you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm sometimes okay for good takes on sports law. Um, but I had a really long Twitter thread about how baseball and rugby together are both sports that have built the brand on integrity. And what this Saracens thing does, very similar, since both of them had a huge announcement from the commissioner and I guess CEO's office in the PRL uh, one um, the commissioner's office suspended uh, two executives from the Astros, fined them $5 million and uh, you know, took away two first round draft picks. And then following that the next day uh, we were waiting to hear about Alex Cora and Alex Cora uh, was fired by Amicably parted ways. Amicably parted ways. Now, amicably parting ways straight up was the Mets. He got fired. Mets GM uh, resigning before he gave the fire. Yeah, the Mets coach, Beltran. Somehow, of course, the most Mets thing ever to do is hire a coach and then part ways before he coaches a single game. Yeah, so so there, there there's yeah. the baseball thing, but the the and um, it really speaks to like the integrity of the game. And baseball usually has this history of coming down hard uh, when things have affected the integrity of the game, especially gambling. And then uh, with first the Black Sox scandal, and then Pete Rose, and then PEDs. Uh, you know, we have one of the toughest drug testing programs in sports they may not have the toughest penalties but their drug testing program is pretty solid well, i think i think the most stark difference between you know the what, what's happening with the saracens and what's happening uh with baseball though is the move with the saracens you know like the, their brand recognition as a franchise in general is kind of and deregulate them is kind of a devalue to the entire premiership rugby oh yeah, you know, oh, as, yeah. as an organization i and i don't think what's ha- the ramifications of what's going on in the mlb is not going to have that's significant of any kind of financial uh, uh, repercussions. Whereas I think the situation with the English premiership definitely could considering right. how the Saracens uh, are standing right now, I like with their fan base size with their, you know, in uh, history as well. well. Their fan base ain't the biggest, but uh, their history. I mean, as a, as a club, most recently, they've been one of the, the most dominant clubs globally in rugby. Uh, they have five premiership titles in the last six years. Uh, I think three European championships in the last five. And now that's all tainted and you have some of their fans being pissed off at the organization, which they should be because in theory, um, they brought disrepute to the game. Like they did. It was a simple fact. And we've, I know Craig and I have had uh, some conversations about what, uh, how this cheats the cap or does this cheat the cap. It, it, it clearly to them, or to the, the judiciary panel that they were sent through in independent sports arbitration, and all three of those guys were like judges. So clearly to them showed that they breached the thing. And then I think uh, the new CEO was, was clearly transparent with the rest of the league and he was trying to offload players so he could get under the cap because somehow yeah. he knew he was too, 
okay, pr- the three years that they got punished for, they were roughly like 700 pounds, 700,000 pounds over the cap. So the maximum penalty for something like that was a, they could have gotten two deductions of 35 points, which would have given them 70 point deductions and would have probably led to them being relegated. But the panel was lenient. And then apparently they were, they went from being 700,000 pounds over the cap last year to being 2 million pounds. I, who? Yeah. So uh, apparently the U- USA rugby is also running the uh, Saracens organization <laughs> right, financial yeah. office. Yeah. yeah. So, but here's what I don't understand. And maybe this is, you know, I realize this is a, a moving story here with the Saracens, but my, the impression I was under it, I think the general impression when this story first broke was that the nature of the salary cap violations by the Saracens were not just, paying people a contracted salary that was high. You know, when you add them all up, it was higher than the cap. It was because they were making some kind of third-party investments in players, other ventures, and not counting that as compensation against the cap, which I feel yeah, that could be confusing, and I don't know how specific. There's, there's definitely no other leagues doing that either. You know, definitely not. Right, but so – but then how does one get under the cap? Like when they then say, okay, well now you have to get under the cap. What are they supposed to do? Sell the, their interest in these companies? Like what? And, and ha- I think offloading now, the player altogether is like the only avenue you can possibly take. I think when it comes to most of this is Ed Griffiths was trying to um, release players, but get them onto other premiership clubs so that they wouldn't have to, um, eat the salary, but he, the other thing is like some of the clubs, most of them are spent, they've spent to the cap. So they really can't acquire new players. They could possibly trade, you know, trade some players that are value that have lower contracts to get one of those marquee players. But then you still kind of have the the same problem if you're dealing with cash consideration. But the bigger thing is, is so the, the rumor, the, the rumor out there from depending on who you listen to is that if you sign for Saracens, you're usually giving up your agent and you nego and they negotiate their contract with you directly. And well, most of the players on the Saracens were, were not too keen on renegotiating their contracts at all. And then I I guess my question is why do their contracts need to be renegotiated? If the nature of the salary cap violation was in the form of, you know, equity investments and other things, well, unlike the contracts were fine. Unlike the NFL. I mean, supposedly the PRL contracts are all standardized, but I'm guessing they're not if it's like this, because then we get to, if the, if they were if their contracts were good to go, and this was just co investments, and you could just cut away the co investments, right? You just be like the the way to get under this is we just the two million pounds were over. Hey, buddy, you needed that money. You're not going to get it anymore because we tried. We hooked you up. You knew the deal, and we got caught. So we're just not going to pay out two million pounds in 
in whatever right or they sell their interest what, back to when it's put into that context though it sounds like it should be investigated as fraud almost i well that's the the other question is so if they had if they did not report, and not just sports fraud but like fraud no, 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 no. that was yeah. that was brought up as well so company's house probably which is their irs um will probably be looking into the saracen's books the other interesting thing i thought was how bad are the Saracen's books that they would not go through a forensic audit and automatic and just take automatic relegation? Yeah. I, I, I think having seen <laughs> the latest development, I just have to revise my thought that, you know, I just can't see that this is really just a matter of investing in outside ventures, which, you know, there's some merit to that type of thing. I mean, it's good to set up players with long-term ventures instead of rugby. I like that. At least the, the sentiment there I can support if, if not the, you know, disequality against the salary cap, but it seems like now with the way that they're acting, that that can't be the limitation of what was going on. Uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem possible based on now being another 2 million over the salary cap. My biggest thing is like, if, I, I don't know, but I would think if Nigel Ray, and this is where uh, I'm not trying to, well, I don't care. I don't know the guy. He's not my friend. And people say he's done great for rugby, but he cheated for seven years in this game. So maybe that's not doing great for rugby. But the, the point I'm, the only point I have here with this is for the, after the penalty was, the 35 point penalty was handed down after the World Cup, presumably he knew what the penalty was and the PRL just did not go public with it because they didn't want to take away the focus from the, the England national team in the world cup in Japan. So if he knew in August what the penalty was going to be, I mean, they could have gotten rid of players in August. Like teams were still acquiring, you know, new players. They could have moved guys to France and maybe they wouldn't have been all the way but they would have started to get close. And then instead of spending the two months after uh, the, after the announcement, trying to get sympathy from the press saying, Hey, you know, we've, we've done so much good stuff. And then finally, you know, the rest of the premiership owners are like, dude, um, you, you have to resign as part of this agreement. It's like, no, Matt, you, you have to leave. It's not just like an, oh, I'm sorry thing. You got to go, mate. Yeah. And so he resigns. And in addition to resigning from the Saracens board as, as chair and CEO, uh, he resigns as chairman of the holding company, which is uh, now in control of his children, which is cool. Whatever. Not a big deal. It was just interesting. I didn't see none of all of that stuff hadn't been reported when he decided to resign from the Saracens. But it's just like instead of spending those two months trying to draw sympathy he could have worked. That was two more months. They could have worked to try and at least renegotiate contracts or offload players so that they could somehow get under the cap. I don't know. But the, the weird one is, is uh, so you have, in order to get promoted to the premiership, you have to come, you have to be in compliance with the salary cap rules of the premiership for two years. So unless they, the owners make an exception, it is likely that for the 2020 and 2020, 2020 to 2021 season and then the 2021 to 2022 season, 
the Saracens will be winning the RFU championship. One of those years, they will not go up, which is somehow I think is how they're going to kill off promotion relegation and ring fence the league. Are they ring fence it at year three, right before the Saracens are finally ready to go back? Well, I think because Saracens Saracens own shares in the league, and you have to be out. I think it's four years uh, before you're required to sell your shares in the league. So I wonder what the penalty for something like this would be in a ring fence world when relegation isn't a threat. Uh, yeah, I wonder what you do instead. I mean, in, in like the U S you would take, well, most of the leagues in the U S you would take picks. Well, in MLR, there aren't picks. So you would take salary cap space and have a higher monetary fine. Yeah. Really big salary cap space though, right? Or not, not a huge amount because. They right now we, right deep. now we don't have salary cap space. You can eat. But I mean, in a, in a fixed, in a fixed league uh, is similar to, uh, you know, what happened to the Astros. Uh, you, you lose first. Week. I mean, comp- you look at the two situations side by side. I feel like the Astros penalty was far less impactful on them. Oh than- yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I, well, I think the, the, there was a what was the NFL penalty where they took like the NFL took like three picks from a team? It, I forget. Yeah, shut up. You no, know, I'm not talking about New England weirdo. But what? they did take a pick from you. They they they, they, they took the for de, for Deflategate. They took a first round pick. They took a third round pick. And they took a uh, there was a, there was a team they took three first rounders. Who could keep New England's various violations in order at this point? <laughs> But uh, but the point is, so like three not, first round picks. Oh, was it Bounty Gate? I think I think that they took the Saints picks. I think that's what happened. Yeah, I, I think I think it was uh, yeah, the whole Coach uh, Williams Bounty Gate thing with Sean yeah. Payton in New Orleans. Yeah, so so you know uh, that's kind of what's going on in the rugby world overseas, and uh, it was it was crazy. If you weren't a rugby person, you'd have no idea it was going on, and your life would have been dominated by. The NFL, the national championship, and baseball going insane. <laughs> but anyway, on to that league we actually cover. Oh, yeah. Um, Thursday, a solid outing uh, by the Seattle Seawolves, 55-0 over the Vancouver Island Crimson Tide. Uh, so Some good pieces uh, from the guys. I think uh, Ross Neal, that big six foot five center wing had a really good game. Um, it's the best I, I said on Saturday morning team juice with Liam. It was uh, it's like having a lock out on the field, except they're, they're fast. Yeah, no, when you have that much weight and speed coming at you, it's going to be hard for anybody to tackle you. But uh, you know, as I said, as I said on the, uh, on, on the show on Saturday morning with you, Aaron, uh, it, uh, I'm glad that you know uh, MLR fans can go into a game like this expecting the Seattle Seawolves to dominate, and it actually comes to fruition. Uh, you know, when it comes to a pro side versus an amateur side, Crimson Tide, you know, in, in their own regard, in their own league circles, not a bad team whatsoever. But you know, it, it's uh, well, although a 55 to nothing match is never really the most fun thing to watch uh, in, in, when you're a fan, or especially if you're a player to partake in. At, at, at least, at least we know the champions are at least at that level to uh, 
to take down some top club competition. It's fun to partake in when you're on the 55 side. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you get a try. You get a try. Well, it was like the prop kicks the conversion. They they slowed down. It was like 45 to zero at the half. So in the second half, he just threw in the. They had like, like, the like they, I think they put in all their subs though. It's I think the, yeah. everybody on the roster was used. Yeah. So. You know, um, this week they will face off against the Tasman Mako, um, and we'll get to why that's going to be very interesting later on in the show. Don't really have much of a preseason schedule for everyone in the league. I know that the Raptors will be at Burfield on Saturday to play the Austin Herd. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, but moving on to our next game, uh, we didn't the next, really, next two games, next, kind of really. Yeah. So the the the, the second weekend of knock the rust off by the Legion. Uh, this time, instead of beating the brakes off on back in that forty minute half, they they beat them twenty one to seven. But then they beat the brakes off of Life West forty seven to zero. So now, just just given the reputation of both sides, I would have thought that score would have been switched. But you know, not not n- nothing against you know nothing against on back. Uh, obviously, great club with a great history. You know, talented players and all that. But you know, let life west from at least from what I remember, has been well, pretty dominant cur- with the currently. BRP. They've been they've been they've been pretty good, especially this last season. So I was mm-hmm. a little bit surprised that it was you know forty seven to zero and not maybe thirty five to zero. <laughs> what do you what do you guys think about the you know? The option of having preseason contests against local amateur club sides versus other MLR sides. Uh, I think having it against other MLR sides should definitely be encouraged in the future, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it at this stage of MLR, considering I think the promotion of local club rugby is crucial to growing the game, uh, like not just within those markets, but within other markets and can, you know, in, in encouraging younger people to partake in rugby and stuff like that, beginning at the club level. So I think right now it's definitely a good thing, but I think in the future, I, the league is just naturally going to gravitate towards more MLR teams playing each other in the preseason exclusively. A lot of this is getting standardized. I mean, most of the teams are play, fa- facing at least one MLR opponent um, in their preseason, and we sort of touched on this uh, when we talked about that topic of how, like an ideal length preseason, and I said three games. And the, the, the first one would be your knock your rust off type game against a local, whether it was a select club side or a local cl- D1 club side that was near you that was also in their preseason and you just wanted to have a community event and you would do that. But this is like last week was perfect. I thought for San Diego, you know, you ha- you face off against two different teams in live opposition, and then the idea would be this week you'd play an MLR team, which a bunch of different MLR clubs congregated in Vegas to do, uh, with uh, which we'll get to very shortly. But it's, I think you, with the way rugby is, you're not in, you wouldn't be in the same you wouldn't face the same issues as say an NFL team in preseason going down to anyone in college football and having a joint scrimmage because there is a dramatic difference between the difference between a college there's like 35 year old men hitting 18 year old players, you know, and which I guess it's not any different in rugby, but just, is man yeah that's i mean pretty much like it just it just is different i i can't really explain why 
Yeah. Well, also, you know, more like a, is an outgrowth, a recent outgrowth of D1 rugby here, basically, where NFL football is, you know, the top level extreme professionalism versus, you know, a clear tier down in college. Yeah. So, but we saw this, it was a couple of years ago. I'm kind of sad in the program hasn't been able to take that next step or even maintain where they were. And that was the, the privately ventured USA Islanders team that uh, played in Bermuda. What was it? Yeah. Bermuda with against, uh, watch me dealing against the Saracens. Um, and that was on flow rugby of all things. And, it was not a pretty game. The Saracens had a bunch of premiership players to include Chris, Chris Wiles, and I think they beat yeah. them eighty-two to zero. Well, they were probably cheating, so <laughs> <laughs> I give that win retroactively to us. They, they were getting extra room service to the rooms. I I do have the USA Islanders jersey in the closet somewhere. Maybe I should, uh, you know, put that up behind because this is a pretty sweet jersey. I have to say, but yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of what I think, uh, you know, probably uh, maybe three, three to four games in your preseason. First one is against a D one club slash a high performance select side. And then you play MLR teams. And I think we'll, as we keep going, this will just get standardized and you won't see much. And maybe we'll see instead of the young Makos, we'll see, Middle eight, we'll see a little bit older Makos next season. I I, I, I don't know what I was going to say, but fuck. instead of baby shark, you get daddy shark. <laughs> baby shark, you get middle shark. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, then um, there were two games in uh, Vegas at Madeira Canyon Park out in Henderson, uh, Toronto. Uh, beat Utah 33-5. to five. Uh, Some of the notes that I had read from their beat reporter, uh, Derek Brissett, uh, who got a report from the team, I guess, was uh, Toronto used their forward pack to build a, a dominating platform. Um, I, Without the tape, I have no idea about, about this other than the fact that Toronto got to work. Yeah, I mean, they put up a score like they were playing a, D, a local D1 side, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it looks look hard to make much of a judgment, but you know, from what you can tell, it looks good for Toronto. Uh, looks a little concerning for Utah, but at the same time, considering where Utah was last season, I guess you could say they saw a little bit of an upswing towards the end of the season. Um, you know, once their chemistry had gotten to a certain level, but at the same time, Toronto was a team that made the playoffs, Utah was second to was second to last in the league thirty three to five it's not fifty five nothing yeah Toronto is uh they're still yeah they're Toronto I don't know yeah. why I mean some people think they might slip I don't know why uh they kept most of their roster I thought their I thought their staff is good and I saw they, Dan Moore scored two tries yeah well you know sexy Dan he does. Dan Moore is Dan Moore and damn it I want more <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean good like uh you know toronto looks uh, to be at the in form right now um a little concerning for utah but they just basically ganked out half the roster and you know put all of their coaches on planes or boats and uh in, and brought in new ones and and they have i think the biggest uh main staff they have a they they have an attack coach they have a backs coach and they have a forwards coach and then they have a head coach and a director of rugby so yeah 
They need Kurt Marath back. I heard I heard he might be coming back to the league. They were a playoff team in the first season. Yeah. In the Paul in the Kurt Marath Paul Asike era. Oh yeah. Um uh, in the in the PRO era, he was the number one kicker for the San Diego Breakers, lest <laughs> let least we forget. And then um the other game that happened in Madeira Canyon was Colorado Raptors 32 uh to 26 over rugby Atlanta. Did there weren't a lot of uh it wasn't play by play like um Toronto's was Toronto if you go back on a Toronto's Twitter feed or even their owners um one of their owners Bill Webb on his Twitter feed there was a lot of play he did a lot of play by play you can read through that there wasn't much for Colorado versus ATL I think this tells us a lot about Colorado and I'm not necessarily thinking good stuff and still I mean but at the same time, we saw what ATL did against yeah. uh, against what everybody kind of agrees is a pretty solid NOLA gold team. So we know that this team isn't just going to be an initial pushover early on. Or, uh, you know, I, I say that knock on wood for, for you know yeah. for all I know they could. I agree with that. But I think I think that uh, you know ATL is going to be good. Um, how good? Uh, we'll find out. I I don't necessarily think that they're a top three team in the East, but they could be. Like they they are. <laughs> They're close. I mean, I think it's going to be like this, this much. Yeah. Uh, anyone out there who read my bold predictions uh, column? Yeah. Got, week, played, this, this played into it. Well, yeah. people people argue about the ownership thing, but and no one has yet uh, discussed. So I love debate. You, you only thought people got mad about the ownership thing. People got mad about some other things. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see it then. Uh, <laughs> What's wrong with Seawolves? Yeah, I, he's like, I, you know, I, was, yeah, I didn't see any commentary on the Seawolves, but the yeah. whole prediction about the Seawolves, man. RCDC, RCDF, baby. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I, you know, two things I said, and this plays into both of them. One was I, I predicted the Seawolves would not make the final four. And the other was I predicted the uh, rugby ATL would make the playoffs. So I think this Colorado versus uh, rugby Atlanta contest kind of plays into that. It, it a little bit how I envisioned, hopefully, so far. I just feel a revenge season coming out of Colorado. Um, and I think they're going to get one of those West playoff spots uh, and be dangerous with Man. You know, the signings they have. And then uh, Rugby ATL, I think, stuck right with them, though, uh, you know, just like you'd expect a you know third seed in the East to do. I, I wish you'd dig in a deep hole there. Dude, and right now you're either gonna you're either gonna strike oil or it's gonna be a grave. Well, it's already in writing, so yeah, I, I was already I was already under the gun. It's just now uh, pixels are pixels are out there, you know. Um, yeah, I I think it says you know uh, again ATL is not going to be a pushover. Uh, what it says about Colorado, not sure. Uh, I I just guys, if you. All I gotta say is, if you don't want to post the game online, just give me the link to the tape, and uh, you know I'll be I'll feel better. Leak it. <laughs> <laughs> let let us leak it for you. Your name will never be attached. And then uh, Liam probably filmed it already. Just ask them for it, Liam. Liam mm-hmm. was at this game um, because he was working at this game. Uh, the Free Jacks thirty nine seven. The Independents. Yeah. So. If you uh, so I'll probably have you having a match report come out pretty soon. Uh, but anyway, this game it was never really close, but it never necessarily stopped looking competitive. Uh, in the first half, the Jacks they had a lot of key starters playing, uh, including Kensuke, Sean McNulty, Kendergan, 
Uh, then in the scrum, then in the uh, back line, you had guys like Danny Collins, Leader, Mitch Wilson, um, and another guy probably worth mentioning in that group is Dion Mikesell. I'll talk more about him in a minute. He had a highlight play of the uh, of the game, definitely. But the match, it overall didn't fe- feature too much of what you would call champagne rugby due to the fact that it was like 20 degrees with a steady sea breeze uh, out of Hingham Harbor throughout most of the match. I was trying to send a tweet every few minutes. If you if you were following me on Twitter, you probably saw some horribly written, really, really bad gra- grammatical well, I uh, thought that tweets. was because you might have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it, it's because I was using voice to text because my thumbs were like inopposable by, by the time they would come out of my gloves. Uh, Cause I was also taking pictures and taking pictures, you know, with, with gloves on is also quite difficult, but anyway, the, the cold weather kind of forced both sides to play a more conservative or as someone might call it Northern hemisphere style of play uh, means meaning lots of attacks uh, with the forwards attempting to move the ball methodically, uh, allowing your backs to take advantage of whatever space that creates with some relatively simple line passing or else the good old chip and chase, which was definitely employed a lot by both sides during the match. Now, what the Free Jacks did well was they was that aforementioned methodical movement of the ball with the forwards. The independents they were showing, like, they were showing grit, I guess you could say, defensively. But unless they were able to force a penalty, which there were a decent amount on the part of the Free Jacks, uh, the, the Jacks just. T- kind of tended to work the middle of the field and they, until they came up with pay dirt. There was a lot of instances of tons of uh, passing phases right at the try line door with the independents putting up a good fight. But again, Free Jacks have a really good forward pack and they were able to punch the holes. Uh, now, Scrum have Eric Thompson. Uh, after the game, he told me how the team, they really came together in the second half. And that was definitely you know evident just from watching it. Um, and one guy who was able to capture man of the match honors, Mitch Wilson, he was the big beneficiary of that. Uh, because once the guys were kind of used to the cold and a little bit warmed up from the first half, they were able to pass it out wide just a little bit. Um, and so that All-American kid was able to take advantage of it, get a try, get man of the match honors, uh, like I said. Now, Coach Smith, after the game, he told me that uh, he, he, saw, he saw the backs fall out of fall out of what he would call the, their systems a little, bit, a little bit too soon. Now, whether that was because of the cold or just because of – you know the the lack the the early season lack of chemistry or whatever that remains to be seen. But there is going to be a whole not, whole another week to uh, you know examine what they did against the independents and try to get it cleaned up before the start of the season. Yeah, uh, I think scoreline wise, you know, pretty good. Uh, yeah, cool to see. You know, I mean, the independents had some rings. That, the one that, the one tried by the independents was a great one. They were actually able to force the free jacks, you know, on the back foot in the scrum. Uh, allowing uh, Mr. Big Man Cody Davidowitz, who that that the guy was playing out of his mind the entire game. If Jared Collinson for the Independence had hadn't had such a crazy good game, he probably would have got Man of the Match honors. It actually went to his little brother Cam, um, no, not Jared, but yeah, great game by the Independence though. I'm just picturing Liam in the stands watching like that scene in the beginning of Goodwill Hunting when they're all watching the Little League. <laughs> Liam's taking in these contests. <laughs> no, nah, I was pacing the field, stalking with the camera. I was, I was the poacher. Man, it was yeah. It, no, good, good to see. Uh, the last game of the match uh, of the weekend of the match man, of the weekend was uh, the Tasman Mako versus the Houston Sabercats, presented by Air New Zealand. Well, we can't forget about OGDC, baby. Oh, damn. Yeah. How did I... OG. You care about the OG... Oh, the OGizzle? The OGizzle? How did I skip that? I'm an idiot. Sorry. 
Oh, so old glory. You, the, the, the military man. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, skipping yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's their anti navy prejudice coming out there. Yeah, it's the naval academy. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so old glory uh, final score ninety to twenty one. But the interesting thing was the first half was thirty three to fourteen. I respectable, that, respectable. That is, I mean, a bunch of college kids uh, out there. Trying, I mean, yes, an expansion team, but still professionals because guess what? The college, I know, I mean, for the most part, the Navy guys are in a daily training environment because they have a well-supported program and, but they still got to go to school and they're carrying all like 18 credits and, you know, they're nerds. So, but uh, for, for Gavin Hickey and his crew to go out and uh, especially that first half, uh, they, I think they scored first. Uh, that's that, I mean, good for them. I think I want to see what they do this spring in D1A. Uh, and we did have a question uh, on Twitter from Samwise Rugby. Uh, was the Old Glory versus Navy the first ever college versus program in the United States? Yes. I have no idea about uh, England. I'm sure they have a, had a bunch of those over time. I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess like whenever life plays, it's their club side, not their yeah, not their college side. So yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I can't think of another one. It's possible that Rooney has played Iona before. You know, maybe even in that um, exhibition year, exhibition season. I, I can't recall. Maybe not. Uh, I can't think of another one. I know, they, I know they played at Iona. I don't they know always they played, played at Iona. Yeah. Iona. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, Iona. and it was good. And then I would have had some concerns if it stayed that close. But in the second half, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, once you get to the professional level, you can make, you know, actual halftime adjustments. You probably have a little bit more endurance as well. So, it, you know, it's it's – it's it's no big surprise that the second half went a lot better for OGDC. I think when New England plays DC, they should come up with a name for that, like the Patriot Bowl or something every year. Between Old Glory and Free Jacks. Hey, I'm just saying at the time of the American Revolution, you know, DC was a swamp. It was nothing but <laughs> nothing but swamp down there in the south. It was just Boston was already a hub of civilization. But yeah, let's let's get some names. What was it? Is it the was it Rooney? Is it is is it the Rooney New England game or is it the Rooney? The the, the Rooney New the Rooney New England game is the Cold War. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was trying to. Yeah. So that is a great name. Yeah, I like that one. Oh yeah, that is a great name. Um. So, but yeah. uh, Sorry. The the Mason Dixon battle. So so. Yes. Sorry, old glory. Um, but you guys, uh, I'm all right. I like what I see so far. Uh, moving on to the final game. This was on Facebook Live. It actually peaked. They had about 1,200, maybe a little bit more because I was more focused because I put it on the big screen than on the count on the game than on the count. But for for Facebook Live for them, like for whatever reason, they weren't on ESPN plus last year and they were on Facebook live. And I don't remember the getting over 400 viewers on Facebook live, but for this game, yeah, 1200. But you don't know how many of those people are minor 10 fans that are watching for that reason. True, but still impressive. Still good. It's good luck. 
Um, yeah, and uh, you, you know when it when it comes came to this game, you know, Craig, you have a different opinion about this than Liam or I did when we talked about it on Saturday. So share what you thought was going to happen versus what we saw happen. I thought the Maca were going to win comfortably, to be honest. I realize it's not their first side, but it really wasn't Houston first side either. And this is a, a championship pedigree team from New Zealand playing a team that finished bottom half of the standings in both years so far. I, I thought this would be a comfortable win. And I think in actuality, Houston uh, played it much tighter than I thought. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was going to be a Sabercat victory. I put it at minus six on, on last week's show. Uh, Colorado played the USA Collegiate All-Americans in the 2018-2019 season. Not a pro team versus a college team, it, but it was college select side. So Col- College select side. Well, I guess so, that, is, you know, that is fungible, but yes, college players. Got so, for, so, so for those listening to just the audio version, we just received a comment um, answering our question as to whether or not there was ever a college side playing a professional MLR side. So, um, Yeah, so the USA Collegiate All-Americans – in the 2018-2019 season, did in fact play the Raptors, but uh, as I was saying about the uh, about about the Tasman Mako game, though, I thought I give the Saber Sabercats minus six mainly because I thought that you know with the just with the older uh, the 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 average age being what it was, the disparity between it, I thought they were going to be able to put up play a more physical game against the Mako and wear them down. So I thought the Mako would probably not have it as productive of a second half. That obviously wasn't the case because they really came out in the second half and secured the victory, despite the yellow cards almost giving it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they they played with 14 men on the field for 20 minutes of that game, so I wonder what it would have been like. Uh, they, you know, the, they're a bunch of young kids, uh, the baby the baby sharks, really, and do, 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 they do, do, play all day. I hear that song. The physical, <laughs> I would say the physical intensity, and I talked about this last season, especially with um, San Diego, the physical intensity they brought, maybe not the best handling at the time because they played, try, they, and they, they played an expansive game. They, they decided to pass the ball around and do a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, because they decided to pass the ball around, it kind of, you know, gave Houston a little bit of chances because, you know, a few times the defense was in the right place, you know. But I was a little impressed by Houston being able to come back and get settled uh, in the first half rather than getting beaten off the pitch. However, I would say, you know, for if you're Coach Healy and you're Coach Emmerich, you're looking at this one you were probably wanting to come away with a win and you were wanting to look a lot better than you did. Uh, you were wanting to be more physical at the point of attack. And in fact, they, the Mako had the initiative for most of that game. And well, if anything, if I'm the Seawolves, I'm not, I, if you look at how good they can play, you're coming away with this and you're going to, you're gonna be. You're gonna put out a serious team this week. I would. I, which is what I would do, because hey, um, they're gonna give you an MLR level contest. So take advantage of it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And they, they have the people uh, on that on that roster to make it competitive. You know, they have the championship pedigree. It's just whether or not they see a preseason game is worth you know, putting out uh, you know a, a full strength roster because at the end of the day, it would just be playing for pride. 
for for development too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I agree with both of you. I think I, I think this is definitely attainable. I, I still probably think I would give the Maco a slight edge if I had to to set a line, but I think this is definitely winnable for Seattle. So I hope they put out a full strength or close to full strength lineups. So I'd like to see how it fares. Yeah, I, I, I agree uh, with that. Um, I guess uh, when it, we had some, uh, another, a few questions come in through Facebook. I know last week we were kind of poor at, uh, or I was kind of poor at getting that done. Um, but I will uh, go through. Where there did... was a question I remember from the Taft Rugby Club yeah. asking whether or not the success of uh, of Houston Stream versus Mako getting you know one getting one point two uh, getting yeah twelve hundred views whether or not that would give Seattle incentive to stream the match. Right. My initial answer would be no, just because setting that stuff up, you know, again takes like you know more than a week sometimes. But at the same yeah. time, it's not totally impossible that they would be like hey maybe this could be some quick sponsorship dollars if we're if we're able to make it work so i mean uh, from what i understand air new zealand contributed to that's why they were a presentation sponsor contributed to the production cost of that game um so i think seattle's trying to seattle will probably try to you know work on some stuff so that there will be some type of broadcast some type of decent quality broadcast rather than, you know, what normally takes, a, you know, a month to lay on when it comes to resources for uh, the level of production that MLR goes through for regular games. Um, the, the other question from William Stillwell, uh, what's going on with the L expansion team? We got the announcement um, and then silent. With the what expansion team? Sorry. The, the LA expansion team is like Loyal's website doesn't mention anything. Well, I will point out that uh, although the commissioner announced the locations of the team, and I'm pretty sure it will be the LA Loyals, don't get me wrong here, the location of the expansion teams uh, at the NOLA Gold press conference, the, le- the league with the official announcements like we've seen with every single expansion team has not been released. So uh, I I couldn't tell you when they will start doing like all of their stuff locally and online. Um, it's, it's kind of up in the air, but as far as I can tell, as far as I know, they have a, an operating license, but so does Dallas. So there you go. Yeah. Speaking of Dallas, um, the only updates that we, that we have right now is the funding of, of uh, Chevron park uh, has gone through. Um, uh, and it's not a hundred percent confirmed. Reverchon. Reverchon. Yeah. So, so the, whatever, but, but it's not a hundred percent confirmed though, that that's going to be the venue for the Dallas team though. Yeah. I mean, just, I know that Donnie Nelson is connected with Reverchon Park LLC, which will redevelop the game. And they've talked about having rugby there and they talked about playing rugby games at the hearing of the city council, but there's nothing definitive, definitive. If that's actually going to be the venue, like we don't know because there hasn't been any other announcements in regards to to that. So, um, I think that's that's all our questions. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I mispronounced the name of the park. Sorry for any Texans who are mad at me. Chevron, apparently. Chevron, yeah. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> um, but you know what? 
like what are the things we're looking for? Craig, when is the Barbarians game? I still haven't seen a date put to it. All right. You know, the New York Barbarians uh, match is supposed to be coming up. And also that Toronto game uh, for New York, which will be in the the Orchard Park Dome, where yeah. the Bills play. So if you're where they, where they practice, yeah. If you're, yeah. It, that one should get a name too. New York versus Toronto, the one they play in Buffalo, should be like the, uh, the Skirmish or something like that. Well, is this like Japan where every event has like a mascot, like, you know, some sort of oh, celebration? Yeah, lucky. Did you see how Japan did in the last World Cup? Have you been That's to the Believe me, one of them one of them is on on the New England Free Jacks. Kensuke was playing in the game versus the Independence, which is have one you, of the most surprising things I thought. Have you seen the top league attendance recently? Holy moly. Like 35 like this is a league that's considered unsupported and they've been having 35,000 people show up to games and they're about to get 15 Saracens so <laughs> <laughs> oh zing zing so, so yeah um so uh, Colin says I hear through the cool. grapevine there is a director of rugby uh unannounced looking at rugby talent locally in the Dallas area which Thank you, Rick. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Rick. It's uh, live on the show. That's you. That's scoop. That's they, scoop. They, that's what I love about doing it live on Facebook. Everybody can chime in. Gotta love those breaking breaking news reports. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's it for for me. What do you guys got? Um, other than getting back to this football game. Yeah, I love that uh, nope. preseason's kicking off. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for rugby to be back in uh, the states. Um, hopefully when I'm live tweeting, uh, next week's match between the, between the new England independence and the new England free Jacks, by the way, the independence will be fielding another team, um, similar to this weekend squad, but there's going to be other names involved other coaches as well. Lots of talent to showcase here in new England. Hopefully it's not going to be negative a million degrees. So I'll be able to live tweet it in a bit more detail. If the, if the Sundance beverage company makers of La Croix want to sponsor the show, uh, let us know. If anybody wants to sponsor the show, if you if you're some guy named Steve from Bozeman, Montana, and you and you just want us to put your picture at the beginning of every show, but you give us money, we'll Apple, do it. you have some cash on the balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, Corey will, of course, put some legal mumbo jumbo at the end of this. Uh, All right, but, uh, see you guys. Yeah, see you guys later. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, its teams, or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is employed by the New England Free Jacks. Their opinions are their own. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.